is the Homestead Journey Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the pursuit of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and sustainability. This is episode number 93 of the Homestead Journey Podcast. Welcome, 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 everyone. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me here on the Homestead Journey. My name is Brian Wells. I am coming to you from 3B Farm and Homestead here in beautiful upstate New York. And folks, it was a busy week here on the Homestead, but not a lot of homesteading stuff got done. Let me explain why. Let's jump right on over to this week's Homestead Happenings. So this week on the homestead, it was one of those weeks that seemingly are more and more a part of my regular routine. And that is that I had something going on almost every evening this week, and not much of it had to do with homesteading. Now, Monday evening, we did have a very special visitor here on the farm, and I'm hoping that I will be able to give more information about that here in the next week or so. So definitely make sure that you are following us on Instagram or Facebook if you don't already, and uh, that's where you will be notified first of the exciting news. But uh, that was Monday, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I had other things going on that were not homesteading related at all. Friday, I actually went over and picked up a bicycle from the bike shop. Now, what does that have to do with homesteading? Well, not a whole lot, and yet a lot. (laughs) Back in, I believe it was April, my aunt was cleaning out the old pig pen uh, that used to belong to my grandfather because she was preparing to sell that piece of property. And in that pig pen was my grandfather's old bike. Now, to say that it's my grandfather's old bike, I remember my grandfather riding it back and forth to work just before he retired. I did find out recently that actually that bike was my aunt Vanessa's, I believe, 15th or 16th uh, birthday present from my grandparents. And then when she left home, my grandfather kept riding it. And so anyhow, she asked me whether or not it was something that I might be interested in or else she was going to just toss it in the dumpster. And so I grabbed it. I took it to a local bike shop and had them go through it, put some new tires on it, put some new brakes on it. And so they called me on Thursday and said that it was ready to pick up. And so I went over and picked it up on Friday evening. And folks, to say that I was a little teary-eyed when I picked that up is probably a bit of an understatement because, well, it's just a great connection back to my grandfather. And so it's an honor and it's a privilege to own it. And yeah, it's a girl's bike. What could he do? I don't care. It was my grandfather's. And so I'm so happy to have it. Now, unfortunately, things aren't 100% correct on it. My wife and I actually went for a a ride around the block yesterday evening, and the rear tire keeps shifting out of whack and gets up against the frame. And then it kind of, well, it binds up. So I've got to take it back to the shop and have them take a look at that. But I'm just so happy to have it. And they did such a great job cleaning it up 
but not too much. It's got a little patina, we'll call it, still on it. And so anyhow, uh, I know it's not necessarily homesteading related. And yet, as I close this program out every week by quoting my grandfather, keep up the good work. Well, then you, to a certain extent, have a connection to that bike as well. All right. Some of the other things that we had going on this week. Uh, yesterday, I spent a bunch of time playing catch up in the garden. And throughout the week, I was up in the garden trying to stay ahead of the zucchini and summer squash. Thus, this week's five-minute Friday, what am I doing with all the zucchini episode? And so if you haven't listened to that, I would challenge you to do so, especially if you find yourself in my situation where all of a sudden you've discovered ways to grow zucchini and now you have lots of zucchini. (laughs) I love zucchini. We've been enjoying it so many different ways uh, here on the homestead. In fact, my wife came up with a brand new recipe for lunch today. That was a zucchini and summer squash bake in the oven with some cheese on top of it. And uh, it was just delicious. I love zucchini and summer squash, but you can get too much of a good thing. And so sometimes you have to get a little bit creative. And so anyhow, Um, check out this week's five minute Friday. If you are running into kind of dead ends, if you want some ideas with regards to zucchini, check that out. And if you've got some great zucchini recipes that I didn't mention, let me know that I would be more than happy to do a follow-up to let other people know your great zucchini recipes. Yesterday, I also harvested some beets and some beans. So canning season is underway right now. In fact, as I record this episode, my wife is uh, prepping the beans and the beets for canning. And so as I get done recording this, we'll be loading up the pressure canner and doing a couple runs of those. So that's always exciting. I did cut back on the number of green and yellow beans that I planted this year because we still have a number of them left over from last year. And so I did uh, put a little bit more emphasis on dry beans this year, but we still are going to can some green and yellow beans. And so very excited to uh, have that underway. Yesterday, I also planted some succession planting of peas and spinach and radishes. And so we will be looking forward to some early fall harvests of all of those things. I planted both sugar snap and uh, snow peas. And then I planted some more English peas as well. Uh, I dialed back the number of squares of spinach that I planted, as well as the number of squares of radishes. Uh, But uh, definitely am going to be looking forward to having some radishes to uh, eat fresh, but mainly to bake because I found that I like that. I didn't get a chance to mash them yet, so we'll be doing that. And then I want to try some pickled radishes. Uh, Barb, who is a member of the Supporting Listeners program, had a recipe for pickled radishes that I want to try out. And so we'll be doing that. And then today I spent, well, the afternoon doing my least favorite chore on the homestead. Anybody know what that is? Do you remember? I've talked about this before. Pig castration. Now, thankfully, we only had two boys that needed to be cut this uh, time around. 
but still that's too, too many. <laughs> I just absolutely hate that chore, but it is something that has to be done. And so with the help of my lovely and most beautiful assistant, Bonnie Wells, we accomplished that chore today. We also tagged the ladies and to be honest with you, I am a little bit disappointed in this litter. And the reason why I say that is because I had such high hopes for them. When I did the initial evaluation with them a couple of days after they were born, they were some of the most chill and most pleasant piglets that I had handled. And then fast forward to today, and they were some of the most squirrely. And in fact, one of them, and this was a first for us, but one of them actually tried to bite Bonnie and I. So certainly not going to be a breeder. And she probably will be going over the rainbow into freezer camp a little bit earlier than the rest of them, because we don't abide by mean animals here on the homestead. Um, we breed the sweet ones. We eat the mean ones. And if they're mean like that, they, uh, well, they get a early ticket to the dinner table. All right. That's what we've been up to here on the homestead. I hope everything is well where you are at. Now, let's jump on over to this week's Charting the Course. On today's episode, we are going to do July's product review. So I promised you that I was going to try to do a product review and an interview podcast episode each month. And then the other month would be topic related. So this month, I have not done an interview episode yet. In fact, that will be released next week because we're going to be on vacation. And at least hopefully, Lord willing, we'll be on vacation. <laughs> That's the plan. Um, but we, uh, we were supposed to be on vacation actually this week. So I was planning on having the interview podcast this week. And I had planned on doing this episode last week. Uh, but anyhow, things got changed around because my son wanted to go to church youth camp. That's where he is this week. And so my interview podcast for July will actually be coming out on August 1st. Forgive me for that. Um, but then we will have another interview in August. And I'm very excited about that. We'll be actually recording that interview tomorrow evening. But today's episode, today's charting the course is actually going to be a product review of the Windstrip trays that I trialed this spring. Now, if you don't remember what those are, the Windstrip trays are injected molded uh, trays for seed propagation. And they come in three different sizes. They come in one that has 50 cells, one that has 72 cells, and one that ha has 128 cells. They are the size of a 1020 tray. In fact, they sit very nicely in a 1020 tray. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. And the idea behind them, they have little slits in opposite corners of the cells. And the idea is that like the soil blocks, the um, slits cause the roots to be air pruned. And so what that's going to do is keep those roots from becoming root bound and spiraling around. But uh, the root stops at that point. And then when you transplant it, the theory is that it says, oh, I've got fresh dirt. And then it continues to grow. And so you have less transplant shock um, when you uh, plant your seedlings out into the garden. 
Now, when I order them, uh, there is a kit that they offer, um, which is kind of a, a variety pack. So it comes with six trays to each of the 50 cell, the 72 cell, and the 128 cell. I think I did go ahead and buy a couple of additional 50s and 72s. I'll explain why here in a minute. Um, but the kit is a great value in that uh, normally these trays, I think, run around 20 bucks a piece, um, no matter what size you get, because all of the sizes do use about the same amount of plastic. Uh, but they, um, and so they're about 20 bucks a piece, but by ordering this kit, it ends up saving you right at around $15. It was just under a hundred bucks for that kit. Now they do have another kit that is supposed to be coming out. And I was hoping to get that kit. And that is one that has seven wind strip trays. So three of the 50, two of the 72 and two of the 128, as well as seven bottom trays. But because of all of the COVID stuff that's going on, they're having a hard time getting the plastic necessary to make the bottom trays. And so that, um, that pack is delayed currently. So again, I ordered uh, the, the one that has two of the 50, two of the 72, two of the 128. And then I, I believe I ordered each, maybe one each of the 50 and the 72. I didn't order another of the 128. To kind of explain a little bit about why you have the different cell sizes, the Winstrip tray that has 50 cells is designed to be used with tomatoes, cucumbers, artichokes, squash, eggplant, pepper, melon, and pumpkins. So larger plants, so to speak. Uh, the 72 cell is designed to be used with a little bit smaller plants, things like broccoli, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, beans, cauliflower, kale, chard, collards, corn, and parsley. And then finally, the 128 cell is designed to be used for things like lettuce, beets, celery, bok choy, fennel, kohlrabi, leeks, onions, peas, basil, and scallions. And if something that you're wanting to start indoors isn't on that list, what you would do is kind of try to come up with something comparable to one of those things and say, okay, well, maybe a 50 might work better uh, or a 72, et cetera. The 72 uh, cell tray is optimized for broccoli. You could start those in the 50 cell tray, certainly, but you might not want to start those in the 128 cell tray because they there just might not be enough room for the roots to develop properly before you need to transplant them into the garden. So what did I like about the windstrip trays? What didn't I like and would I recommend them to you? The thing that I liked about the trays they are very, very, very well-made. In fact, I think on the website, they have a video of somebody running one over with a car. And I believe you could do that and it would survive. I don't know about a dump truck, <laughs> but certainly they are very well-made with a bit of a caveat. If it is cold, that plastic gets brittle. And if it falls from a height of maybe tabletop height onto a cement floor, it is going to break. Ask me how I know. <laughs> so certainly they are very tough under the right circumstances, but when cold, they are a bit on the brittle side. And so they don't necessarily bounce 
as well as they might otherwise. They are relatively easy to use. It takes a little bit to, to learn how to put the, um, the soil in them and kind of tap it, but there are some great videos that Connor has on YouTube to show you how to do that. Do I think that it saves you a lot of time over making soil blocks? Maybe. If you're used to making soil blocks and you kind of have a, a, a pattern down for getting the mix correct, I'm not convinced that the soil blocks are going to take you a lot longer to make than filling these trays. Um, but if you are making lots and lots of soil blocks, then certainly the trays might be a better fit. So as a home gardener, I don't think it saves you a lot. If you're a market gardener, it may save you uh, some time. Certainly, I do think that there the uh, slits work as far as air pruning. I don't think that's hype. Um, I, I definitely saw that when I pulled some of the plants out. Definitely, it looked like the air pruning had worked and the roots had stopped. I tried to do some soil block by wind strip tray kind of side-by-side -side comparisons. I lost track of where I was at with that. I probably need to circle back around to do that and maybe start a few things in soil blocks, a few things in the wind strip trays, then plant them out and see which does better. Um, that piece of my experiment sort of fell by the wayside, but certainly the air pruning did work. Does it matter? or is it any better than what the soil blocks provide? I, 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 I can't tell you that. Um, certainly when it came time for pulling the plants out of the trays and uh, transplanting them, it worked far better than the tray that I got last year from Haas Tools. I did buy a big tray from Haas Tools last year. I can't remember how many cells it is, maybe 146, 136, something like that. And I found it very difficult to get these seedlings out of that tray. Um, it, it just felt like for some reason or another, and maybe the, the seedlings hadn't developed enough, um, but they just didn't release as well. And the way that those are manufactured, the hole is too small to use your pinky or your, your ring finger to push the plants up from the bottom. Um, whereas with the wind strip trays, I could easily do that. So if you were out in the field with the one from Haas tools, you would need to have a pen or a pencil or something like that to try to pop the plug out. If it wasn't coming out, um, easily from pulling on the top where I had no issues whatsoever with these ones from the wind strip trays. And if it did stick a little bit, I could just use my finger to pop it from the bottom. So I really, really like that. It's very easy to carry these out to the garden and uh, to, to transplant right out of them. The ceilings are very secure in the cells. And so you don't have to really baby it too much. Whereas if you're taking a bin of tomatoes out in cups, they can be a little tippy and you have to be a little bit more careful. Whereas with these wind strip trays, it, they're just very secure in them. They fit very well inside a 1020 tray. And this is where I'm glad that I didn't end up waiting for the bottom trays because while I strongly believe, I mean, I haven't seen them, but having seen the wind strip trays, my guess is the ones from NeverSync Tools uh, would be very, very strong and sturdy. The bottom trays would be. I don't think you need them. 
I think that because the wind strip trays are so well made, you can get by using the cheap chintzy disposable uh, 1020 trays that you can get at a greenhouse. Now, obviously, if you are worried about plastic and, um, you know, maybe that being not sustainable and the impact on the environment, then you may want to look at getting a more sturdy tray. But my guess is you would be better off buying a 1020 tray from Bootstrap Farmer because I haven't seen the price. I, I don't know as they have the price listed yet for the bottom trays. Um, but my guess is the packs of the 1020 trays from Bootstrap Farmer may be a little bit more economical. So overall, did I like the windstrip trays? Absolutely. I, I did like them, but do I think that they are a hundred dollars better than my soil block maker? I, I don't think so. I liked the windstrip trays. I think that in a market garden situation, I think they might make sense because using them over and over and over again, you're going to end up with a great return on investment and labor, I think, is going to be saved by utilizing the windstrip trays. But for the average home gardener, I'm not sure it's worth it. It certainly is a very sizable investment because while that mixture of trays, that pack, is $99, their free shipping doesn't kick in until you spend $200. And what I found was that by the time I factored in shipping, I was going to be almost at the $200 mark. Anyhow, their shipping is certainly not cheap. And those of us who have gotten used to Amazon Prime, um, well, the shipping adds quite a bit to the overall cost of buying these trays. What I ended up doing is buying a wire hoe, which got me to the $200 mark. And therefore I got the free shipping, but unless you are going to buy other tools, certainly, um, and I don't know, I don't know what it would cost to have just a single tray. Maybe you want to buy a $20 tray and pay for shipping on it and see how it works for you. Um, I wanted to try the different sizes to see what I thought. As far as the different sizes go, certainly I think that the 50 and the 72 uh, trays would work for many home gardeners, depending on how much you start. Uh, but I think that for most home gardeners, even those are going to be a bit of overkill. Unless you are starting 50 of the same thing, I found the same issue with them as I found with the big tray from Haas Tools. And that is that I don't start 146 of the same thing. I don't even start 50 of the same thing. Now, I might start 50 tomatoes and maybe 10 different types of tomatoes, but many people don't start that many tomatoes. Most gardeners, I would say, most home gardeners don't start that many tomatoes. And so then if you try to mix tomatoes and peppers, it just doesn't, doesn't work out well. You've got different germination rates. I tried actually mixing some herbs 
and I didn't really have great success with it. It was okay, but some things sprouted really quickly. And then, you know, other things got crowded out because the, the first thing sprouted very quickly. So I would say that for most home gardeners, you're better off buying a soil block maker and making soil blocks to the number that you, you need. If you're somebody who starts lots and lots of the same thing, then certainly I think that this may be a great option for you. Um, I think that they do what they say they do. Uh, the air pruning does what it says it does. They are easy to fill with soil mix and very, very sturdy, very well made. I think they will last for years and years and years and years. I love the fact that they are 1020 size. So they fit in a 1020 tray and they fit in my seed starting system much better than that thing from Haas tools, which just is a weird size and doesn't fit well in my system. If I were to use the things from Haas tools, I would need to redesign and maybe come up with a different setup and design around it. But if you're somebody who's been using 1020 trays at all, then these would fit well within any kind of a current setup that you have. But at the end of the day, I'm going to keep it real here. Um, I'm not going to recommend that most people go out and buy these. I think if you're doing market gardening, it's going to be a great fit. If you're somebody who has a large garden and you start a lot of the same stuff, it may be a good fit for you. Um, maybe if you're somebody who starts a lot of tomatoes, then you might want to buy one or two of the, the 50 cell. If you're somebody who starts a lot of brassicas, then maybe buy a couple of the 72 cell. I doubt for many people, I think most people direct sow a lot of the things that go on the 128 cell tray. Most people direct sow things like lettuce and beets and so on and so forth. So not sure there's a lot of value for the home gardener in this. Um, but if you're a market gardener or you're somebody that starts a lot of the same thing, you might want to check them out. I will have links to all of these things in the show notes. I am not an affiliate of Never Sync Tools. That does not color my, uh, my opinion here. Um, I will be reviewing the hoe, the wire hoe um, from Never Sync Farm in a future episode. Um, and so definitely watch out for that. Uh, I, I think Connor's doing a great job down there with uh, at Never Sink Farm there in the Catskills. Uh, I would love to go visit the farm um, someday. Um, but I think for the home gardener, the wind strip trays, in my opinion, is pretty much a pass. If you've used the wind strip trays and you have any thoughts, let me know. If there's something that I missed, reach out to me and let me know. And uh, if there's something that I failed to consider, let me know that as well. If you love them and you would recommend them, reach out to me and maybe we can have a conversation. We can record that conversation and make it part of a future episode. All right, folks, that's it for this episode. I hope you have found it helpful. And again, any questions, comments, concerns, reach out to me, Brian at thehomesteadjourney.net. I'd be glad to hear from you. Brian can be reached by emailing him at brian at thehomesteadjourney.net or by contacting him via our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support this podcast, 
we invite you to become a member of the Supporting Listeners Program. For $10 a month or $100 per year, you will receive access to a community of like-minded individuals via a private Facebook group, at least one monthly live Q&A with Brian, the opportunity to participate in live recordings of the podcast, access to an ever-expanding library of helpful homesteading content, and so much more. Head on over to support.thehomesteadjourney.net for more information and to sign up today. As always, the music on this episode was provided by audionautics.com. So a big shout out to them. And until next time, everybody, keep up the good work.